We've been on a journey the last few weeks walking through a series we've called Life on Mission, just looking at how uh, different perspectives and different ways to live out our mission that God puts before us. Two weeks ago, we were challenged just about being a disciple and what does it look like to be a disciple. Last week, we heard from a, from a gentleman who came, David Conrad, and shared with us, um, from Rafa House and their ministry and, and rescuing those who are enslaved and those who are being trafficked. And so each week, this week, just uh, each Sunday, just been looking at different perspectives, a way to live out your mission that God has given you. And there's so many perspectives on how to do that. And today we want to look at that through the eyes of orphan care. And so we're calling this Orphan Sunday. Orphan Sunday is actually a, a national um, avenue, a national process that churches do together. Uh, that was a few Sundays ago, and we just moved it for us and for our scheduling to have that today and to hear about what does it mean to care for the orphans. Today, we're going to bring this message in a little bit different way. Instead of just a, a regular preached message, you're going to hear the message through story today, through testimony of two different families who are going to share about their journey in foster care and their journey in, in terms of adoption and what that has looked like to actually live out this verse that we talked about several weeks ago uh, as we went through the book of James. But James 1 verse 27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And so James's call to the church is that we care for the orphans and the widows in their distress, their times of trouble, their difficulty, their hardship. And so we're to respond and reply to that. And there's many avenues of how we can do that. And today, though, we want to hear two stories. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump right into our, our first story this morning as we hear from the Browns. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And Lord, today we just ask that you would speak in this room. Lord, speak through, through worship, through singing. Speak, Lord, through, through the scriptures that we share. Lord, I ask that you speak through the testimonies, the stories that are shared this morning. Open our hearts and minds, God. Open our heart and mind to what you would have us to hear and what you would have us to do, how you'd have us to respond. Lord, how we can live, lift up uh, this mission, this, this idea of caring for the orphans and their and their distress. How do we do that? And so, Lord, we pray and ask that you would just speak in this room this morning through the testimonies we hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Mike and Sarah Brown. If you've not met the Browns, they've been part of our church here for some time and been getting more and more involved over the last six months to a year. I've been a chance to get to know them just in some different ministry avenues. We get a chance to talk here and there and start hearing their story. And little by little, I've heard more of their story. And I, I wish I had hours. We don't have hours, but we wanted to allocate 15, 20 minutes today, be able to sit and chat with them and them get a chance to share their story. And so uh, many times these discussions happen sometimes in a, in a meeting space around a table, or sometimes it's in a living room just sharing soup at your house as we got a chance to do that with them. And, and so this, we wanted to kind of set it up kind of like a, a living room discussion and invite you kind of in the living room and and we get a chance to hear their, their touch in the in adoption world and foster care world and, and how that's been affected in their lives and, and what it's done for them. So why don't we just begin and why don't you just give us a touch prior to you actually adopting the children you have in your home right now. How has adoption touched your life prior to that? Um, so we have four children now. We have two birth children, Yael and Z, uh, our older two. And we have Miracle and Felix, our younger two that are adopted. Um, adoption was a word that I knew probably from the time I was a baby, first speaking, because my older brother uh, was adopted. My uh, parents uh, did not think that they were going to be able to birth any children, so they uh, pursued adoption, and my older brother was adopted. Um, and then I have a cousin and other people in my family that are adopted as well. So it's pretty normal for you. Adoption was just was, part of your life. Exactly. Okay. What about you for Sarah? How has adoption been part of your life? Yeah, so when I was in, a, in high school, our youth group pastor, um, they were having trouble with infertility, and they adopted a child. So I was able to see um, the blessings and joys and challenges associated with that. And then when I was in my early 20s, I became pregnant, and um, eventually I had two girls, and... Um, I went through a process of decision-making with the first pregnancy, and 
got in touch with an organization called Bethany Christian Services. Um, it's a Christian adoption agency. And um, we, I went through a very um, intense and deliberate decision-making decision process where I listed out the things that I hoped for um, for my children, um, both in the present and in the future. And then said listed like six or seven options, abortion, adoption, caring for the child myself, allowing my mom to care, a neighbor to care, you know, just lots of options. And then listed pros and cons of those to try to see which one fit into what I wanted for my children and decided in the end that um, for me, and definitely not, um, it was a very personal decision, not a blanket judgment of, oh, this is bad or this is good or anything, but a very personal decision for me that um, adoption was the best option for what I wanted. So um, once I made that decision, I told my, I could have gone through, you know, the book of potential parents and, and could have chosen a parent that just seemed very overwhelming to me and I just really couldn't deal with that. So I asked my youth pastor if they would kind of put out um, a net and see if there was anybody that they knew that would be interested in adopting a child. And so uh, she called um, someone uh, and as the story gets relayed to me, uh, this family, the, the woman, Tammy, was praying earlier that morning and she was pleading with God, and she said, God, you've, you've heard my prayers, and you know my deep, deep desire for a child, and um, I can't plead anymore. I'm tired. I'm exhausted, and so I'm laying this at your feet. I'm laying this down. I'm not going to pick it back up again, but I'm going to trust that you know my deep desires and that you will answer me um, with yes or no, and I pray for the strength to be able to accept the answer that you give. And later that afternoon, um, my youth pastor called her and said, there's a young woman in the church that is thinking about adoption. Are you interested? Mm. And so um, that began a relationship with them. So um, I placed um, my oldest child in her home. Her name was uh, Hannah. And That then, happened all the same day. You talked to your youth pastor and then found out about uh, this lady who was praying and giving all to God all the same day. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, well, I mean, it may be that I talked to her on Sunday and she called on Tuesday, but right. this, yes, the, this call was immediately after the prayer. So right away I knew, like, I don't, I don't understand how out of my sin God can bless someone else, but right. I was seeing it unfold at that very moment. And so... I just had really complete confidence from that story that my decision was sound. Yeah. You know, another confirmation that my decision was sound and the best for me and my daughter and for them. And from the beginning, I just knew that it was going to be fine. So that your first daughter's name was? I named her Tisa, but they renamed her Hannah, which I knew was going to happen. Okay. And then, so then just move forward a couple of years later. Mm -hmm. I have um, pregnant again, full birth sibling. And um, of course, you know, they were my first option. But I said, this process is painful. Like, it's very difficult to grieve a child. And you grieve, in adoption, you really grieve as this, if this is a death. You don't expect to see that child ever again. And so it's a very intense grieving process. Um, and there's no one to blame because you're the only one who's made the choices, right? right? And that's part of the grieving process is blame, but I didn't have anywhere to put that um, except on myself. And so um, I, I just didn't feel strong enough to give this family another child, but I felt like um, I could give the sister to the sister. And so the picture on the bottom is... Um, just after I've placed Rachel into the hands of Hannah. So you were, you, you were in your young 20s, and you kind of already you know, alluded to, you, know, you just made some choices at that time of life in your young 20s that wasn't God-honoring, but you wanted right. to be God-honoring in this process. Right. Can you speak to why you just didn't keep your girls and why it was, you know, adoption was the choice you were going down for? 
Yeah, so for me, I mean, I was still in the middle of college and um, my parents had been adopted and I just, I didn't uh, want a single parent life. I know that a man and a woman um, have some strengths together. Um, and so I wanted my, my children to have a two-parent family and I wanted my um, children to be part of a ministry and that, I just wasn't there at that point and I knew I couldn't financially care for them and I knew that it, it would be detrimental to both what I had hoped for their future and okay. maybe a lot of other things. All right. So you have both your daughters placed into a, a, an adoptive family and it uh, seems like a strong adoptive family. What, what takes place after that? Yeah, so um, it was a semi-open adoption. So obviously I met them and I knew who they were. And I did not know where they lived. But we communicated back and forth for about seven years until Mike and I got married and we started having children. And then I became busy with my own family. And okay. so once I stopped returning letters, then obviously they didn't return letters. So I have some fantastic pictures of when they were children and playing together and just being really sweet. And um, so then I don't, I don't hear about them for a long time. And three years ago then, I got a call from the adoption agency. An adoptive mom always keeps in touch with the adoption agency for sure, um, or birth mom. And um, they wanted to meet me. Hmm. And so they came and spent... And how old were they? So, then? yeah... Um, they waited. They had, the girls had been asking to meet me before, but they they waited until Rachel was 18. So Hannah would have been 20. Okay. And so they came and spent a day with us, and it was it was amazing. It really was, and it was, you know, some of the things that they like to do, or some of the things that Yael likes to do, and it was just an amazing um, time of re reunification. It was a real gift to us. Yeah. And then, um, two years ago, Hannah invited me to her wedding, and I was very sad to not be able to attend because I was sick to my stomach and on the couch. But then um, this summer, Rachel got married, and she also invited me to the wedding. And it was amazing. Um, when each of their family members knew that I was at the reception, they each came to me, and they embraced us and loved on my children, and um, Hannah came over and gave me a big hug, and when, um, when Rachel came into the, the space, and someone went over to her right away and said, Sarah's here, and she came right away, and we were the first table that she came to, and that was such an honor that I didn't deserve, mm -hmm. and... I just felt like, yeah, talk about redemption. Like to have, um, to have said like, I'm, I'm placing you in someone else's hands and I'm no longer your mother. But then to be embraced by them in, in a full welcome, it was just so humbling and so amazing. Really a picture of what God does for us. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So let's fast forward you know, a little bit down the road into meeting how you guys decided to get into adoption. What was, uh, you had Miracle and then later adopt another. Talk about that a little bit, Mike. So uh, we could start, start with Miracle um, or we could back up a little bit further. Okay. Um, before we actually, Sarah and I had talked about doing adoption and foster care before we were even married when we were just still dating. Um, and it, when the opportunity came, we moved into a house downtown, a bigger house, and really prayed and said, God, this is a bigger house than we need. At that time, we only had Yael. Um, and so we said, you know, God, we're open to, you know, what would you have for us? How would you want us to use this house and this space? How old was Yael at the time? She was two. So Yael was two. And this is something we kind of just picked up in first mm -hmm. service. You know, you move into a, a larger house, mm -hmm. and you're like, God, we got room. So, yes, and so then we, we moved in in the very end of September, and then we're praying and we're talking with our um, fellow church members about, you know, that we were open to this and we're praying about this, 
and they made us aware and um, in November, first part of November, so about a month after we moved into this house, um, a teenage uh, homeless mom moved in with us, and she had a, a two-year-old as well, and um, she was pregnant. Sarah was pregnant as well. We didn't know that the teenage mom was pregnant. Um, now, you say that, like, yeah, a teenage homeless mom moved in, you know, a pregnant young girl. I mean, did you all catch that? I mean, they're praying, God, we have room in our house. Our house is big enough. What do we do? And you take in a teenager who's homeless and not just homeless, but also pregnant, caring for an orphan, caring for someone who doesn't have a home. I just, I got to stop the story every now and then, just make sure we don't miss some of these important points that to you, it's just normal life. To us, we're like, well, hey, we're hearing this story, you know, so. Well, and then, so we had prayed about that and felt like God kind of answered that prayer. And here we are doing this exciting orphan care sort of thing. And then uh, almost immediately, um, my paycheck bounces and the small nonprofit I'm working for basically went under in, in a very short space. And so we're, you know, right around Christmas time and my paycheck bounces and uh, got Sarah at home with Yael taking care of a young child and we got a teenage mom living in our house. Nobody has any income and we're just kind of, I'm like, again, like, whoa, wait a second, God, hold on a second, back up here, you know, what's, so, but God was faithful and honored, you know, and, and it was kind of, for us, it was kind of touch and go, like, how are we going to pay bills, how are we going to, you know, we had people that just kind of surrounded us, and God sent us people to support us, and we had people paying for our health insurance, and we had uh, people um, helping us in every way possible. So you're living in a house with two pregnant women, basically. Yes. Bless your heart. <laughs> All right. So help move the story forward there, Sarah, from that point. Yes. Yeah, so then we, um, she lived with us for about a year. And then um, we kind of kept just <clears throat> meeting people that needed a little bit of space. And so our house was an open space for a long time for a lot of different things. And then um, Mike and I switched roles, and I went to work, and he stayed at home. We thought it was probably time for us to have another child. And so... And, and we had had Z by that time. So the, right. the woman, her name was Tasha, that lived with us, she had had her second child and moved out shortly after, and Sarah had had Z. Okay. Yeah. So we have two kids, and it's time for a third child. And so we decided... Let's, let's foster. Um, and so we told our children we may foster for a day, a week, a month, a year, um, but we are going to love children. Mm -hmm. And so we had one foster child that went home, and that was a good situation. And then uh, we, um, <laughs> actually the worker was like, okay, this one's going home, but you've got one coming up, so don't open your home. I'm going to give you this one, and that, that was a miracle. Yeah, she just felt like that was a really good fit for our family, knowing the situation of Miracle and Miracle's mom's background and some of that. And so we had Miracle in August. She was born and, and came directly from the hospital into our home. And we had told our worker, like, we want to do one child at a time. We are not open to doing multiple children. We're, this is, you know, we want to be really intentional about quality. We're not looking to fill up our house with a whole bunch of people. And so when you all went to foster care, were you, you were just thinking, we're going to foster a child at a time. Were you thinking possibly adopting one of the foster children? Yes, that okay. was always in the back of our mind that we would be open to that if that was something. Um, but foster care also serves as a really important piece to allow, as we saw with our the first child that we fostered, uh, allow parents who uh, get their life put back together right. to be reunited with their child. And so that was our first foster child was also an infant. Her name was Malia, and her mom worked very, very hard at getting her life back together, and we celebrated the reunification nine months later. All right. So you have Miracle come home from the hospital into your home. Right. And so we told the worker, no more. You know, we're, we're done for a while until, you know, either Miracle returns to her birth mom or uh, we adopt. And in December, so that was in August, and in December, uh, I had a dream that um, a little boy was supposed to come into our home, 
And um, it was very, very clear dream that, that this was supposed to happen, but I didn't really listen to God. So I'll let Sarah continue a little bit. So about a week later, I had the same dream. And I, I knew as well, like this is... Did he tell you about his dream? No, he didn't tell me. Okay. No, he didn't tell me. Um, and so I woke up and I said, Mike, I had a dream that we had another foster child. And I know there's a child waiting for us. I know there is. And we need to talk to the worker right now. And I then was kind of floored and said, well, I had... <laughs> I had this dream about a week ago, or anyway, it was a few days before, and uh, so Sarah said, we need to contact our worker right away, and I said, no, let's hold on, I'm pretty busy, and this is not a good time. He was staying at home, so it was his (laughs) workload, not mine. (laughs) So anyway, the worker came for her regularly scheduled visit a couple weeks later, maybe a week later. And uh, so we just waited until then. She came in and said, so are you all ready for a little boy? And we were both just kind of like, what? You know, and she said, no, I'm just joking. I know you all had said you don't want somebody, you know, you want to do one child at a time. But she said, I really did think about you all. And I really felt like that there's a little boy that is in the hospital right now. And I thought about you all, but I knew you all weren't open to that. So we've already arranged for another family to take him. And so then we told her about our dream and um, that just to be, that we are open to taking another child. And we felt like it was a boy. We weren't sure, but that was what, you know. So she called us back about a week later and said, the situation with the other family fell through. And um, so she said, would you all consider? And of course we said yes. And so had you already adopted the miracle at that point? No, not at that point. She was just four months old. Okay. So that was the start of taking care of what was almost twins with Felix and Miracle only four months apart. Wow. So when did you move into full adoption on both of them? That was a couple years later on both of them. Okay. Miracle has has two um, birth siblings that are older than she is, and one of them had been adopted, and one of them had been in care 15 months. And so um, they held up that adoption in order to kind of add Miracle. And so Miracle's adoption was really early. It happened in about nine months. And for Felix, it was about two and a half years. Okay. Wow. Well, I mean, we're just barely, I think, skimming the surface, really, of your story. Just enough to kind of paint a picture for for the church body. and Mike and Sarah have very willingly said we'd be willing to talk with anybody, obviously, uh, quite a journey of life from Sarah in her 20s making some choices that she says, you know, I didn't honor God, but I want to honor God. And so maybe, maybe you're dealing with that situation. Maybe you're in that situation, you know someone who's pregnant or you're pregnant, and you're like, what do we do? We're not ready. How do we take care of this child? We're not ready. They'd be willing to talk with you. Maybe you're thinking about foster care or adoption. You know, we drive by all the time. You see the sign stuck alongside the road, foster parents needed, foster parents needed. Maybe God has triggered your mind at time. You're like, oh, no. Or maybe you're dealing with some kind of thought or emotion. Maybe you had a dream. You're like, what are we supposed to do that? They would love to talk with you. They're very open to that, to sit down and have a conversation and see how, you know, how can they come alongside and help you in the journey. But let me just let me close our conversation with just asking both of you just kind of share a piece of wisdom, or maybe how you've seen God's hand in this, or just a, what would you say to the congregation, you know, in, in this journey? What's been one of the one or two things you've really learned or seen God's hand working in this? Well, I've definitely seen God's faithfulness in following through with um, what God is calling, and what God has called me to, and so I would just encourage you, if God's put something on your heart, to, to pursue that, um, and because God is faithful. And then the other piece that I uh, just wanted to share was to say that uh, it may not be that God is putting on your heart to take someone into your home, but uh, people who take children into their home need support. And that's what you all are for us. You're the Sunday school teachers and the encouragers and the, you know, at different times when I lost my job, it was the people that came around us that supported us. When we went through adoption and foster care classes, it was the people that watched our older children for us um, in very supportive ways. And so I just, you know, there's, there's so many different ways that people can support the work. And together, I think 
that's how we can do it. Sure, and I'm glad you brought that up, and Mike brought that up first service too, because I think sometimes when we talk about foster care or adoption, many times we think, well, there's no way I'm open to my home. I don't have the gift for that or the capacity to do that or finances. Many times we think that that can't be me, but there's so many avenues of, of potential ways to be involved in helping uh, children who are orphans. There's so many avenues, and actually in your growth guide today, we listed a few websites. I mean, you can easily Google that kind of stuff, but a few that we feel confident in that show some avenues of that. Uh, I know some families in our church even do child sponsorship. That's one way of just helping by sponsoring a child, but uh, the, the, the church comes along, the community comes along and helps you in the journey. So I'm glad that you, you raised that. Sarah, what about you? What do you, would you say is a, a learning point for you? I think, you know, just my whole process from choosing adoption to adopting, um, it just, I think, has shown me so much about God's character and, and God's love for us. And I think about and, and have read so often and revisit them so much, the scriptures about adoption or taking God taking us as children. But I think about how I carefully placed my child into a good home. Mm. But when God sent his son, he, he sent his son into a world he knew was going to be cruel. And he knew that Jesus was going to bear our burdens and die on a cross in a very cruel and heartful way heartless way. And um, I can't imagine sending my child into that atmosphere. And so that shows God's love for us. And then um, even though we've sinned, God continues to love us by adopting us into his family and calling us co-heirs with Christ, which if you really get that, it will blow you away. Um, that we have equal grace, equal love, equal forgiveness, equal authority, maybe, as Jesus Christ, because he's adopted us into his family as co-heirs, and we have an inheritance as God's children. Like, it's amazing. And so God's love is so amazing, and this idea of adoption, I think, is woven from the very beginning, Moses all throughout the story saying that um, Israel is God's people. What does that mean for us to be God's people? And just this woven throughout Scripture is this beautiful love story of adoption. And, and, and not only then do you see it this in Scripture, now, now you're living it in your life to see God's handiwork in the whole, the whole process and what He's doing in your life. What a story of redemption. What a story of a very open heart to, to living out God's call in your life. I love just the whole thing that we just want to be obedient. And, you know, God, you'd say, I only want one child, and then there's an opportunity for another. All right, God, you know, we'll, we'll do that. Would you all thank them for taking the time to, to share their story this morning? If you haven't uh, met the Lemons before, this is Ryan and Amanda Lemon. They've been part of our church for some time now, several years, and we've been neighbors for 10 years. We live right around the corner from each other, so we've watched our kids grow up together, and uh, they have uh, have quite an adoption story and being involved with foster care and, and orphan care. and. Uh, so wanted to get a chance for them to share their story. And again, we only have so much time, so I, I think we could spend hours probably just diving and hearing more. But let's begin with Amanda, just touching base to how, how you were affected by, 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 orphan, um, by being an orphan in your life. And, and talk about that a little bit and then how that led you down this journey of where you guys are at today. Well, as I said in first service, I'll keep it um, as... PG as possible. My, um, I'm the true definition of an orphan. My father um, killed my mother when I was seven years old. He broke into our house um, on Father's Day when I was seven. My mother decided it wasn't a good idea for him to see me that day, so he uh, broke into my house when I was seven years old, stabbed my mother 40 times, and me over a dozen. So uh, my family decided it would be best if I was shipped off to an orphanage in Barberville. I was, this happened in Harlan, so they shipped me off to an orphanage in Barberville, Kentucky. So I lived there from the time that I was seven 
until I was 18. So um, if you know anything about the foster care organization or anything, you're supposed to be in foster care um, from any, for about 18 months, according to the state foster care. They have this system called AFTA. So you're supposed to be in foster care for 18 months, and then you either um, are adopted or age out. That's kind of the thing. But I was in there for 11 years. So I was the true definition of an orphan, absolutely fatherless, absolutely motherless, but um, that's kind of where that sat. But as I was saying in first service, um, I, I did not have a dad, did not have a mother, but um, I kind of was grew up in a, the Pentecostal Children's Home is what the name of the organization that I lived in. So snake handling, running up and down the aisles, and uh, very different than what we do here. Very, very quiet service sometimes here. So, um, so that's kind of my experience as a child in the religious. We're so gonna God have, is. We're gonna have snakes next. Yeah. Week. Well, hey, <laughs> it's fine with me. It's fine with me. It's fine with me. I'm all right with that. The box will be in the front. Everybody else stay in the back. Um, so, um, but as I was saying in first service, that you know everybody else. I, I do remember in the church, as you can imagine, in the Pentecostal church, everyone gets married at 18 and stays together. So. Um, I had a lot of friends growing up in the church who were had these powerful, dynamic fathers. They were all ministers, and um, so here I am, this little orphan girl who, you know, they would take me to their homes on Sundays, and I would eat dinner, and everybody's bowing their heads, and I just remember thinking, wow, I'd love to have a father. And then it's almost like God would speak to me and say, I am your dad. I'm your father. So it kind of I developed this image of my dad in my head who was the king of the world, and I had this image that my dad is better than your dad. I kind of developed that thought in my heart, and I've kind of grown up thinking that throughout my life, even though my dad, he ended up dying in prison, um, so literally was the true definition of an orphan. Um, but I developed this whole sense, and maybe that's my sense. People ask me all the time, how did you become who you are? Because my dad kind of created the universe. I don't know what your dad did for a living, but my dad was awesome. So that's kind of the, the situation that I grew up in. Um, I, I felt like my dad was amazing. Um, and I, I think people have this tendency to have pity on me. Um, when they hear my story, it's a really terrible story. Growing up, growing up in the children's home wasn't a bed of roses. There's things I could tell you that you would not believe. And my kids, when I tell them to go to bed, you know, without taking them to regattas, whatever it used to be, and then they're like, why, Mom? And I'm like, well, do you, do, need I remind you what I went through as a child? And, and, and then they uh, settle down. But um, the things that I could tell you about growing up in foster care and um, it would, would shock you, would absolutely shock you. But um, I guess that's kind of where we started getting into the foster care bit. It, it's pretty remarkable, as we were talking the other day, just to hear 11 and a half years in the foster care system. And then, I mean, many people go through the foster care system. They've been in 11 years, would probably be on the street with drugs or alcohol or some major struggle. When they had a life together, you went on to EKU and graduated and full two different careers now. Yeah. I mean, just... Uh, God's handiwork in your life, but one thing, and I didn't want to overwhelm you, church, with stats, because I mean, some, some, sometimes stats feel like you're really trying to just pull at our heartstrings and all that kind of stuff, but uh, the stats tell you today that if every church in America would have just one family would step up and open their home to an orphan, we could eradicate uh, the orphanages in America. Think about that. If every church in America would just have one family, and it probably would be one per year because you're going to have to keep, you know, going to have more kids come. But we could, you could eradicate, you could do away with, with the problem that we have. And that's why someone would spend 11 years in an orphanage system because there's just not enough people opening their homes to say, hey, I'll take a, take a child in. So Average stay in that children's home is eight to nine months, and she was there for 11 years. 11 years. Yeah. Man, that's a whole other thing, wrestling with, you know, how does that make you feel going? These other kids are getting adopted. And oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it was the whole, but that that's another story. I remember, you know, those tent revivals that you come to. I literally, and I don't know how much people believe in prophecy and things. I had a lady come up to me, and she had driven two and a half hours. And she walked up to me and said, God sent me to tell you, you are not second best. And I will never forget that as long as I live. And she had driven two and a half hours, and she sought me out, and she said, all I knew is you were going to have on a pink dress, 
And all I knew, that's all I knew about you. And she sent me and she prayed over me and she said, God told me to tell you, you are not second best. And I have lived with that for my entire life. And I've never settled for second best and I won't. Wow. The power of words. Yes. Yeah. Ryan, why don't you talk about how you got into uh, adopting your story there? Well, I... Like I said earlier, it started when I was 18, really. My my dad was my hero. I played basketball for my dad. I remember when I was playing for him, I couldn't wait to be a dad so I could do that to my kids. You know, I just could not wait for that day to be a dad. And then when I'm 18, I'm getting to go to college. I get the call that I think my girlfriend's pregnant. And, of course, my world came to a screeching halt. And I'm driving down the road in our little country bumpkin church we used to go to. And I, I, I pulled in. I don't know why. I just I pulled in. I knew how to break in because I used to mow the grass at the church. So I broke into our church, and I went and sat in the front row. And, of course, nobody ever sits in the front row, especially in our little church. And I just sat there, and it's like 150 degrees in the, cause the middle of July. And I just prayed, you know, God, please don't let me be a dad. Please don't let me be a dad. I'm not ready to be a dad. And I leaned over, and I fell asleep in the pew. I don't, like I said earlier, I don't know if it was 10 minutes or 20 minutes, but when I woke up, it was like the weight of the world had been lifted off my shoulders. I, I can't explain. It's like I just knew God was going to take care of me. And they had a big picture of Jesus behind the, the pulpit, and it had a light. I don't know why the light was on that day, but the light was shining on it. And I remember I just kind of looked at it and kind of winked like, you know, thanks, man. I, I appreciate that. I knew he was going to take care of me. But then I learned, be careful what you wish for, because I flash forward 10 years, and I'm married, and all my friends are married, and all my friends are having kids, and it ain't happening for us. It ain't happening for me. No matter what doctor we went to, infertility treatment, medications, what, it, wasn't, it wasn't happening. And I remember uh, thinking about that day that I prayed in church, please don't let me be a dad. And now every day in church I'm praying, please let me be a dad. Please let me be a dad. You know, I'll, I won't drink. I won't smoke. I'll be a good kid. I promise I'll be a good dad. Uh, be careful what you wish for. At about that time, though, a door opened and uh, got in contact with an organization called Adoptions of Kentucky out of Louisville. And it's an open adoption where you submit a portfolio and a scrapbook and the birth mom gets to pick you. And when we went and met with them and gave them our scrapbook, I remember they said, it'll probably take a year. A lot of families, it takes two years. Just, just be patient. So like you said earlier, all this months and months and years of infertility waiting to be a dad now they're telling me you got to wait again be patient more be patient again yeah. so i'm praying again god please let me be a dad in like two weeks got a phone call there's a mom in northern kentucky and i'll pick it up again <laughs> i get to this spot every time she wants to meet you so we went up to the frisch's big boy up in newport if you know where that is up there Sit and wait, and she brings this little boy in in blue jean overalls and a blue jean hat. She puts him in my arms, and at that moment, I knew all that heartache and that emotional roller coaster and the sadness and the depression of going through infertility. I knew now it was all worth it because God knew that there was a little boy up in northern Kentucky that needed me as much as... As much as he needed him. And that's, that's our Gavin who's back there. We're going to make you come up here again. So Gavin is now 18. He'll be 19 in January. And when he's not causing trouble all the time, all across the world, he is modeling, as you can see up there in that little picture. So that's his, that's his gig now. He's modeling. So, um, he's, he's, so that's son number one. Yes. So I'm good. I got my kid. Fast forward a couple more years. The marriage to Gavin's mom fell apart, ended in divorce. Gavin was three. Little did I know that a path was already laid out for me, again, by God that I didn't know because sitting right beside me in the newsroom at Channel 18, I mean, right beside me was this beautiful, strong, smart woman, smoking hot, that I fell in love with, first as a friend. We were just best friends for, for a couple years. We fell in love, and then she eventually became my wife. As I said, I didn't know who he was talking about in the first service. I was like, <laughs> Nancy Cox, right? <laughs> Alan Cutler. So I'm good. I got my wife and I got my kid and I think I'm set. But if you heard Amanda's story, it was very important for her. She felt like we should investigate and become foster parents. The way she grew up, she wanted us to be. So we joined the organization called SAFI. Yes, we joined SAFI. It's a special alternative for foster care and youth. And I'm sure you've seen their signs everywhere, um, all across the the roads. And you see them. I I think there's one up here at Bracktown actually right now. 
So we joined this organization called SAFI, got our license because we didn't know when we were going to use it. We just wanted to kind of have it in our back pocket just in case something came along. So but, your, your intention was just to be foster parents? Yes, we were going to foster okay. just in case, just, you know, just because I had been a, a foster parent. I mean, I've right. been a foster child and wanted to kind of have that in our back pocket. So we, uh, with part of that doing that, they were always asking us, you know, to celebrity celebrity softball tournament. So Ryan organized We had one. A, a softball game, Channel 18, going to take on the kids that are Safi kids. Just a fun event out at LCA. Yes. On their softball Which is field. where Gavin was going to school at the time. And the, while we were playing, there was this little boy sitting over in foul territory, eyes this big, acting like he's watching the seventh game of the World Series. <laughs> he was just all into it. So when, as the game ended, we decided we'd let him hit. So I took him up to home plate helped him swing, hit it, and ran to first base, held his hand, ran down to first base, and you just thought, you know, he had just won the lottery. He was so happy. And Amanda just mentions to our social worker, like, you know, what's, what's his story? Within a week, that little boy is in our home. Within a month, he is living with us, and we realize he needed us as much as we needed him, as much as Gavin needed a brother, um, a, a year later, he was adopted, and he became my. And we we left something out. You know, everything's a God thing sometimes. His biological mother was there at the time, and she had a Meadowlark lemon jersey on That's right. that day, which was kind of kind of a, a neat twist, but. There is Michael. So Michael Lemon became our, <laughs> our first. Son. That's our that's our little middle son, Michael, who is wild. Miss Hamlin had him in. in yes, had Mrs. Hamlin. Had Miss Hamlin in in school, so she knows all about. Michael so now though. I'm good. I got my wife. I got two sons. Life is good. No problems. And we went to the ballpark again. So a couple years later, go back to the ballpark. Cardinal run out here. And we didn't even play that day. We're out there just watching some friends play. Right. And there's a little boy running around out there by the concession stand. And Amanda wins up to him, goes up to him and says, hey, you know, who are you? He's like, I don't know. I said, well, where's your mommy? I don't know. So she grabs his hand, walks around and finds out he's there with his foster parents just watching some other friends play. So Amanda takes him over to meet me. And this is a true story. She says, come here, I want to introduce you to your new son. Met Josiah. First thing he asked me to do was take him to go poop <laughs> at the ballpark. And again, within a week, he's in our house. Yeah. Within a month, he's living with us. And a year later, he's adopted and became Josiah Lemon. Up, Josiah. That's our baby. <laughs> he's, he's the rotten one. So the joke around our house for a long time, I told Amanda, stop bringing kids home from the ballpark. <laughs> Because if you don't think God has a sense of humor, met them both at the ballpark. Both their middle names were Anthony. Both were three years old. He lived with Gamma. He lived with Granny. Birth fathers are Hispanic. It just, the, the similarities are unbelievable. Yes. So God had this path. I didn't know what my path was, but he had this path already laid out long before I did that knew to put my family together. And I, I think sometimes we, Gavin, when he was little, it, he always wanted someone to play with, always wanted. And then he had Michael to play with. And then Gavin, when he would be at his mom's, Michael would be so bored. And now Michael has Josiah to play with. And they all have so, they have such unique personalities that are so distinct. But as I said in the first service, Michael's ministry has turned into having, you know, we have Zeron here with us, has turned into, you know, if we had adopted Michael, Michael has turned into this little social butterfly who has turned into, you know, bringing kids to church and bringing friends to, you know, bringing people over to our house. And I know we talk a lot about, Brian preaches this compelled message about extending the youth, youth ministry. Well, you guys don't realize that you are extending your youth ministry because these boys come to church and they're bringing people to church. So you are ministering through our boys to other people through your compelled. So you don't realize what you're doing just by having our kids in, in church. And it's just a domino effect that you guys don't realize that us coming to church and Caleb Bolton is the whole reason why he even started coming to this church he doesn't even realize this we were sitting out playing cornhole and I don't even know if you know this we were sitting out playing cornhole with a friend um, who is now deceased um, 10 or well, how long have we been coming here 10 or 12 years ago it had yeah. to be because we were at Middlethorpe Middle Elementary and uh, he came up and he said he made a bet with um, 
what's his name? Well, I, can't, I can't even remember. Tom? Tom made a bet with Tom that he wouldn't come to church. And Tom came to church, and he made a bet that we wouldn't come to church, and we came to church, and we've been coming here ever since. So, so the moral of the story is let's start making bets. Yes, let's start uh, making bets. Playing cornhole out in the, in the cul-de-sac. Cornhole in the cul-de-sac. So well, we've been coming here. Here's my question, though. So Gavin needed a friend to play with, so you got Michael. Michael needed a friend with, so you got Stop. Josiah. So no, Stop. Josiah does not. You don't need just, any friends. Just wondering. No, no. We have had so many numerous social workers call and ask because uh, the, the need is so great for families and it, you don't have to be a perfect family. By goodness, I mean, Ryan, have you listened to him on KSR? He is not perfect. <laughs> so you, you, they, you, you don't have to be a perfect. I think that's such a misnomer that you have to be a perfect family. And we're by no means perfect. I mean, you've been to our house. We're not perfect. We've, we've, we've interacted with you. Yes. There's no perfection, is there? And in none of us. And, that, no. and the cool thing is being your neighbor, and we talked about this first service, is there's always people in another house, kids in another house. I think for a while it was like, now which kids are the Lemons kids? Which <laughs> ones really go with them? You know, eventually you kind of figure that out. But there's always a, a stream of kids in and out, in and out, because they, they just have very open doors. Like, oh, if a kid needs a place, then our place is their place. And, uh, and feed them and clothe them and take them places and everything. It's just quite a ministry. Uh, for sake of time, same question I ask them. Um, the Browns. I joked with Ryan in between. I said, y'all are like Calipari. I ask you one question and you know, that's what he does with the media. You know, one we do talk for a living. Kind of yes, that's our so, job. Um, but just uh, 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 speak some wisdom to us or how you've seen God's hand in all of this. We were talking about that the other day when we were around the table, just how, how God, this is truly a God thing when this happens and, and what you guys are doing. So speak, speak to us a little bit there. Well, the, how I put it earlier, you look at us, and we may not look like we fit. We're, we're different colors, different backgrounds, different ethnicities. But God knew we fit long before we even knew each other. He knew we, were, we fit. He put, I just strongly believe in my heart, he put us together. You know, he put Gavin and me together. He put Josiah and, Amanda and, 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 Josiah and Michael in Amanda and I's life. He knew that path long before we did. And I used to, you know, families have to go through infertility and the emotional roller coaster you go on, and then people come up and they ask you, you know, hey, are you going to have kids? Even when Amanda and I got married, are you guys going to have kids? And we have to say, well, you know, we can't. And they give you that look, like that look of pity, like you're broken, like there's something wrong with you. And I, I hate that look. And so I always want to tell them, look, the fact that I can't have kids is the greatest gift God can ever and will ever give me. Because that gave me my family through adoption. Wow. Yeah. And which brings me up to something I forgot to tell you in the first service. We don't like the phrase Orphan Sunday. Orphan Sunday, to me, orphan sounds no family, not loved, alone. We prefer Adoption Day. We celebrate Adoption Day in our house because adoption is a family, love, belong. So we're going to petition you and the board to change it to Adoption <laughs> Sunday instead of Orphan Sunday. There you go. I would, I would, I think I said this before, you know, we're all adopted into, you know, into Christ, you know, and I said this before to the boys, we're, they were chosen. We were, we're a chosen priesthood into God. And, um, I think if we can say nothing else, you know, God chose us. He, he chose us into his family. We're a chosen priesthood. We're chosen into his family. And I, we always joke with Ryan about, you know, we didn't, your parents didn't get to choose you. <laughs> You're just common. You know, we, these boys were chosen. We're, they're, they're blessed beyond measure. And God sent his son into the world. And that was a choice. You know, these boys were chosen. That, that was a choice. It's not one of those, as you can see, these kids have very little attention span. They're just like their daddy. God, God gives us choices every day, and this to spread that love is something that you can do very simply. And it's not adoption's not for everyone, but it, just giving that love to someone is so simple and so easy. You never know whose smile you're going to brighten just by just day. You're just going to brighten by smiling, and it's so easy. You see these angel trees everywhere. Those kids, you don't know what their lives are like. You know, it's so easy to just give something so simple. It's even if it's gloves or hats or anything like that. My message to you would be just explore it. If it's not for you, it's for someone and be their support system. It's, it's for someone, so be their support system. Thank you. Would you all thank them for coming and sharing?
We're going to have the Browns come back up here. And uh, you didn't get a chance to meet their, their children, so come on up here. I'll try to keep this right now, second service. Okay, Felix? So this is, uh, this is Miracle, if you all met Miracle. This is Felix, so these are the two adopted children. And then this is Yael and Z, they're two children by natural birth. And, and so this is, this is their family. I, I just want you to, to get a picture of, of what's, what you see on the stage here. This is what God's church is supposed to look like. It's what it's supposed to look like. We, you know, they say the most segregated hour in America is Sunday morning. All the white people go to the white church, and all the African-American people go to the African-American church, and all the Hispanic people go to the Hispanic church. But if we're adopted into God's family, it should be all kinds of skin and all kinds of sizes and all kinds of eyes, colors. And that's what I love about our church. If you've noticed, Center Point is becoming more and more diverse. We're looking more and more like our community. That's what I love, and that's what I pray for. And I think it's really cool because right here we see God's handiwork, God bringing families together. Now, just to echo what they say, well, I don't know what your part is. I don't know what, what, what your role is. Sometimes I ask, what's my role? And God says, Ryan, your role is to keep lifting up the need, keep lifting up the Scripture. Maybe your role is i got to support another family. Maybe your role is I become a foster parent. Maybe your role is I need to adopt. Maybe your role is I'm going to figure out how we at least do a sponsor a child. Maybe your role is this Christmas season, as Amanda mentioned. Maybe it is I'm going to pull one of those angel trees somewhere. Maybe your role is, you know what, they're doing backpack ministry, and that backpack ministry, I guarantee, goes to help out with some families that are dealing with foster care and adoption. Maybe it is I'm just going to make sure I bring my stuff or bring a little bit extra so we can do that backpack ministry. But maybe your role is just to start praying. God, open my heart and my mind. God, what do you want from me? I just encourage you, church, don't just let this be a Sunday. We just come and we heard some stories and, and heard some, some, some neat testimonies and we go home. Let's be sure we ask the question, God, what's my role? God, what, what's my part? How do I do this? Because we worship a great father, do we not? We worship a great father. I love what Amanda said in saying when, when I was an orphan to know that I had a father and to make the, the, the comparison to understand that my dad's better than your dad because he created the entire world. He's our dad, and that's who we worship. And that's who we want to close out this morning worshiping together. Would you stand with me and let's pray and we'll continue to worship. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these stories. I thank you for the Browns and for the Lemons coming and just sharing and saying, here's how God's been working and here's what God has done and here's how we've been responsive uh, to God's work in our life. And Father, what a great picture of your great love for us. Father, I pray that you help connect the dots for us to, to see how we can, can live on mission here on this earth, but we can live in your mission of, of your kingdom, of your handiwork in us and through us and in this world. Father, we thank you that you are a great God and a great, great Father. And we honor you and worship you this morning as we close this morning with this great song of praise, Father. Just a praise song to you that we honor you as our great Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.